What a sports business weekend, and it all starts with Shohei Otani. And this is your Morning Buzzcast for Monday, December 11th. Good morning. I'm Abe Madcore. Hope everybody had a great weekend. It was packed with sports business news. And what a power play by the Los Angeles Dodgers as they signed Otani to a 10-year $700 million contract that is the largest contract for any individual in North American sports history. Yes, I'll say it again, the largest deal for any individual in North American sports history, easily topping Mike Trout's extension with the Angels in 2019. It also surpasses Lionel Messi's deal in 2017 with FC Barcelona. Now, Otani's deal was negotiated by CAA Sports' Nez Balello, and the $700 million figure was much more easily a hundred million dollars more than even the most optimistic or bullish predictions on his deal. A source told the Los Angeles Times that the majority of the contract will be paid out in deferrals, which were Otani's idea as most of the money will be paid out after the 10 years, which will help the Dodgers build a more competitive roster. That's really just amazing. And the Dodgers already have deferred much of the long-term contracts of Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts to help the team. Now they get that with Otani. It's a great spot. A marquee franchise in such a great baseball town with a great baseball history. The Dodgers will be must-see both on TV and in person. Now, the team that was surprisingly making a hard run on Otani, the Toronto Blue Jays, were left on the outside looking in. The decision to sign with the Dodgers ended several days of rumors and speculation that Otani could join the Blue Jays. There were social media reports that had him on a flight to Toronto on Friday. However, the Toronto Sun noted the final deal would have reached to almost a billion dollars in Canadian money, and it's understandable if the Blue Jays and owner Rogers Communications didn't want to play or pay at that level. But the bottom line, a new historic agreement for Shohei Otani and an exciting day for the Los Angeles Dodgers and the game of baseball. Let's move on and let's close the curtain on the NBA's inaugural in-season tournament as Saturday night's final drew a standing room only crowd of more than 19,000 fans to T-Mobile Arena. Unlike the semifinals, this game certainly had a big game feel. On ABC, you had star power with Dr. J, Shaquille O'Neal, Shannon Sharp, Steffi Graf was there, Floyd Mayweather, Bobby Flay, and the WNBA's Las Vegas Aces all in attendance. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and league officials had to be thrilled that the first title went to the Lakers and LeBron James, whose presence certainly amplified interest in the tournament. Adam Silver outlined possible changes to the tournament that saw courtside tickets sell on Saturday night for as much as $12,000. Yes, courtside tickets were selling Saturday night for as much as twelve grand. And during Saturday's final, Lakers fans outnumbered Pacer fans at least 20 to 1, according to reports. Now, Adam Silver did say that discussions with the players in the Players Union and teams around next year's event will focus initially on the playing surface, 
the tiebreakers, the scheduling, and of course, the money paid to the players. While many like the new wave courts, Adam Silver called the floors a bit cookie cutter. And he hinted that individual teams next year might be free to design their own courts. And that would be interesting. But the NBA has to be happy. Yes, there are still doubters who don't like the tournament. But the NBA even won over the cynical sports media who, by and large, praise the tournament. The Boston Globe called it a rousing success, and the concept was completely embraced. ESPN noted the event has set itself up to be a permanent fixture on the NBA's calendar moving forward. The Washington Post wrote the tournament largely exceeded expectations, and Yahoo Sports wrote the league's first attempt to insert another competition into its regular season was triumphant in terms of conversation and greater intrigue. So the bottom line, this was a big hit for the NBA. And now it's back to the regular season. So it'll be interesting to see how that regular season schedule resonates with basketball fans. Let's go over to MLS. What a story the Columbus crew have become. Remember, this was the team that was believed to be on the way out of Columbus. But the Haslam's and local leaders and local fans saved the franchise, and boy, have those efforts been rewarded. The crew won MLS Cup Saturday, beating LAFC, and won the franchise's third MLS Cup in front of a sold-out Lower.com field of nearly 21,000 fans. I watched a little of it on TV. The energy in the building was obvious if you watch that broadcast. Of course, crew fans were ecstatic. And while Don Garber did so much to keep the team in Columbus, fans obviously don't remember or don't want to remember that part as they booed him pretty well during the trophy ceremony. Remember, just five years ago, the crew uh, were going to Austin, but fans fought back with a Save the Crew campaign that led to the Haslam Sports Group taking ownership along with local leaders. The crew are one of 10 original MLS teams. They won their third title. They won it during COVID when only 1,500 fans were able to be in attendance. But this title really marked another turnaround for a team that won only 10 games last year. Meanwhile, looking ahead, Don Garber said there was no pressing plan for expansion at MLS. They sit at 30 teams right now. But he did say that if there's a market with a facility and the right opportunity, the league would consider it. Remember, San Diego FC is the league's 30th team and will start in the 2025 season. You know, is there any more intriguing and complex league right now than the PGA Tour? Wow. Big names, big egos, big dollars, all trying to determine the future of the sport. Over the weekend, you had PGA Tour policy board member Jordan Spieth dispute reports that he and Tiger Woods and Patrick Cantley are spearheading all talks with outside investors. He also disputed the notion that Patrick Cantley was driving or controlling this entire process. Very interesting how these players are emerging as the power players in all of this. Meanwhile, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan was scheduled to meet with Public Investment Fund Governor Yasser al-Ramiyan this week. But that has now been pushed back to next week, 
and it's not even clear they will meet next week because all is really uncertain after Live Golf signed John Rahm late last week. So a lot of pieces moving on the PGA Tour's chessboard that could determine the future of the tour. And it's not just the players feeling pressure and feeling the pressure around revenue. So are the sponsors. You can't overlook the decision on Friday by Wells Fargo not to renew its title sponsorship of the Wells Fargo Championship right here in my hometown of Charlotte when its current deal ends in 2024. This is a marquee event for the PGA Tour. Wells Fargo really does it right. They seem to get great benefit from its entitlement. SBJ's Josh Carpenter reported that Wells Fargo certainly wanted to renew its deal, but not at the $25 million per year cost that it would take to continue its title sponsorship, along with the new requirements being asked of the tournaments by the PGA Tour. The Wells Fargo is a signature event, and with that, comes a mandated purse of $20 million. The event's purse was $9 million before it was elevated to a signature event before 2023. And that purse has to be underwritten by the sponsor. Josh Carpenter also reported that Wells Fargo made an offer north of $20 million to continue the deal. It was reportedly not accepted. And the tournament started as the Wachovia Championship in 2003 and became the Wells Fargo Championship in 2011. Like I said, it was a marquee event, but this shows the added financial pressure on the tour and on the sponsors and on the players because players seemingly want a bigger piece of the pie and that money has to come from somewhere. So much is going on right now around the PGA Tour. Let's end with a couple of quick hitters. I love this week's college game day before Army-Navy that was at Gillette Stadium featured a fun appearance by Bill Belichick. I'm sure you saw him trading stories with the game day crew and talking football history. Meanwhile, in another piece of history, college game day will hit the road big time next year. It will broadcast live from Dublin, Ireland, yes, Dublin, Ireland, ahead of Georgia Tech's season opener against Florida State at Aviva Stadium, that's that traditional game in Ireland that's been such a hit. And this marks the first time college game day is originating or will originate from outside the United States. So they continue to make that Ireland college football game even bigger, and it will be bigger with college game day on site. And finally, for all you hockey heads, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, will appear on ESPN SportsCenter Monday night, tonight, 7 p.m., live from ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut. Should be fun. He'll also sit for live interviews during the first and second intermissions of the network's telecast of Blues Red Wings. That's all tonight, Monday night, NHL on ESPN, and it should be fun to hear Gary Bettman talk hockey on ESPN. And that is your morning buzzcast for Monday, December 11th. I made Madcore. Thanks for listening to the buzzcast. Stay healthy. Be good to each other. I'll speak to you on Tuesday. <laughs>